It's my uh, privilege to introduce a special guest to you here this morning. Uh, many of you know that uh, Marcy and I were naive enough to start a school last year, and that is an intensely intimidating process. But through it all, God has really proven his, uh, himself faithful by bringing just the right people along at just the right time to do things even beyond what you would believe. And one of those relationships that God has given us in our life is Dr. Richard Tompkins. Um, there are a lot of things that are intimidating about starting a school, and finding an outstanding faculty is definitely one of those. And so I think, I think uh, Richard re replied to a Herald article that was out there, and uh, he just said, I want to come alongside, and I want to encourage, and I want to teach kids the Bible. And what I have come to appreciate so much besides just his friendship is his absolute passion for the Word of God, and the opportunity to help people think seriously about what it means to live as a Christian. And so we are continuing in our sermon series about questions from God. And today we're going to deal with the question of, who do you say that I am? Who better than to have somebody who has spent um, you know, the last several years of his life dedicated to teaching apologetics, how to defend the faith to atheists or to people who have serious questions. And so I know that you will enjoy my uh, my kids. He is my kids teach Bible teacher. And usually he is the one giving the exams. But my kids are sitting up in the balcony ready to note everything that he says to give him a grade on how he does. And so they love the opportunity for the roles to be reversed here this morning. And so, Dr. Tompkins, thank you very much for being with us this morning. Uh, we're praying for God's blessings as you open up the word to us. Thank you. Thanks for letting me come and share with you this morning. How many were uh, were here the first service? <laughs> good, because I was getting scared. That uh, well, I don't know. Maybe that's not so good. Maybe I wasn't so good, so nobody wanted to come back. Uh, I don't know. Maybe it, it, maybe it's both. I'm not. I'm not. Uh, I'm not too certain how that is. If you have a Bible, you can turn with me to uh, Matthew's Gospel, chapter 16. And we'll be, I'll be reading from the Holman Christian Standard Version. It may be slightly different than yours, may, maybe not. Maybe you have the same version. But I'm going to be reading from it, beginning in verse 13 and reading all the way down to uh, verse 20. And I think it'll be on the screen, hopefully, behind me, maybe not. But here we go. Matthew 16, 13. When Peter came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do the people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, well, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others Jeremiah or, or one of the prophets. But you, he asked them, who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus responded, Simon, son of Jonah, you are blessed because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I also say to you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the forces of Hades will not overpower it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and whosoever you bind on earth is already bound in heaven, and whosoever you loose on earth is already loosed in heaven. And he gave his disciples orders not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. Wow. Well, my kids were, uh, were young. That's been more than a year or two ago. Uh, they, every year on TV, they have a show, The Wizard of Oz, that movie. And the kids had to watch it every year. I mean, you know, it's a pretty good movie, but after about, you know, 10, 12, 15 different showings, you get a little tired of The, the Wizard of Oz. But you know the storyline, right? You've got Dorothy blown up by a tornado uh, to somewhere over the rainbow. 
She runs into these other people, the scarecrow and the, and the cowardly lion and the tin man, and they're all missing something. They all need something. And so they go seeking this wizard of Oz, the great and powerful Oz, to get what they need because they're all short of something. So they make this trek to the Emerald City, and they, they come before the Wizard of Oz. He sends them on this, this uh, trek that they have to, um, a task this have to do. They have to kill this wicked witch and bring her broom back as evidence that they had killed her. This they do with some uh, uh, trials and tribulations along the way. They get back before the uh, Oz at, with bringing the broom, and they stand before them. They're, they're trembling and scared because this huge image almost like a demonic image with fire and smoke and this voice that bellows out, I am the great and powerful Oz. Well, along the way, as they're shaking, the little dog, Toto, jumps out of Dorothy's arms and runs over to find this curtain and pulls this curtain back. And behind this curtain is this meek little guy with a funny-looking mustache turning these knobs and speaking into a microphone. And when he notices that they, that they see him, he says, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. Too late. They already knew who he was. They already knew that the great and powerful Oz was not the great and powerful Oz. At best, the great and powerful Oz was this meek little guy who was little more than a snake oil salesman. So their hopes to receive what they had been dreaming for are gone. So... Hmm. What does that show? Well, here's what it really proves. It's not enough to make a claim about something. You can't claim to be somebody. You, somebody else can't claim that you are somebody unless you have some proof to show that it's true. Right? And that was the problem. He couldn't prove who he was. He wasn't who he said he was. He was very sincere. People can be very sincere about what they claim. But if they can't prove it to be true, it's just... So being sincere, and they can be sincerely wrong. Now, anybody here, football fans, can remember, some of you may be able to remember a great football player by the name of Jim Marshall. Played for the Minnesota Vikings. There was a few people in the first service who could remember him. Probably not many of you remember Jim Marshall, but I do. I'm old enough to remember Jim Marshall. Great football player. He's in this game, and there's this fumble. And he picks up the fumble, and he runs through all the people trying to tackle him to the goal line and, and scores his touchdown. He's celebrating. He's so happy. Unfortunately, he ran the wrong way. He scored a touchdown for the other team. So he was very sincere in his efforts. He was determined to cross that goal line. Nothing was going to stop him, not even though his own team members who were trying to tackle him. But he was still wrong. He was sincerely wrong. It's not enough to make a claim about something. You've got to be able to show that what you're claiming is true. You may be sincere in your belief, but you can be sincerely wrong. In our passage today, we find that Jesus is taking his disciples up to this place called uh, 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 Caesarea Philippi. And in this place, it's outside, it's north of um, the city or north of Galilee where he had been doing his ministry. And um, he took him up there to kind of a final exam. He had been teaching and pouring into him for about three years. And this was the end of his Galilean ministry. And he's about to work his way down to Jerusalem now. So he wants to, to see if he has been planted within them 
what he really wanted them to understand. So he asked this question. It really, it seems like it's two questions, but it's really only one question. He asked, who am I? What is my identity? First, he asked them, well, who do the people say that I am? And they said, well, you're a prophet. And I think Jesus expected to hear that because people were expecting a prophet, probably that prophet that Moses had alluded to in Deuteronomy 18. But then he gave the big test to his disciples because Jesus didn't care so much what the people thought. At this point, he wanted to know what the disciples thought. So he says, who do you say that I am? And Peter has this wonderful declaration, proclamation, if you will. He says, you are the Messiah, Christ, the Son of the living God. Well, that's interesting. Great proclamation. But is it true? How do we know it's true? So Jesus was wanting to know whether or not they understood his identity. So let's take a look at Jesus' identity. How do we know that it's true? Well, he's the same question, by the way, has been asked for 2,000 years. Jesus is always asking us, who do you say that I am? So let's take a look at, um, at some of the options for Jesus' identities. There's about six different options. Number one, he could be a prophet like the people said that he was. Or he could be a great moral teacher like a lot of people say that he is. Or he could just be a liar or a loony tune, a lunatic. Or it could be a legend, a myth, didn't ever exist. Or he could be the real deal. He could be exactly who Peter claimed him to be. And more importantly, he may be exactly who he, Jesus himself, claimed he was. Well, let's unpack these options, if you will, and see if we can reach to what, where the truth lies. And uh, of these six options, five of them either fall into the category of being incomplete or impossible. Let's look first at the incomplete. Two possible incompletes, him being a prophet and him being a great moral teacher. Now, for some of you, you might find this a little strange, but I'm here to tell you that Jesus could not have been only a prophet or a great teacher. Could not have been. Why? Because he claimed to be something else. He never claimed to be a great prophet or, or a great moral teacher. And so if he claimed to be something else, and he wasn't something else, then he was a liar or he's crazy or he's something else. He was not a great moral teacher, and he certainly was not a prophet of God. So the best these two give you is an incomplete understanding of the identity of Jesus. So let's take a look at the impossibles. Number one, liar. Well, hang on a second. Did I have a... Let's go back to uh, um, C.S. Lewis. I want to see what... Here's what C.S. Lewis says about this aspect of Jesus being uh, um, a prophet or a, a great teacher. He says, I'm trying to prevent anyone saying that really foolish things that people often say about him, meaning Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. This is the one thing we must not say. A man who is merely uh, a man and, and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would rather be a, be a lunatic on the level of a man who says he is a poached egg. Or else, 
He'd be the devil of hell. Interesting, isn't it? Right out of Mere Christianity. A great little book if you've not read that. So let's take a look now at the, at the impossibilities. Liar. Well, if he was a liar, he was the greatest liar in the history of the universe. Because he's fooled billions of people over 2,000 years. Besides, he said that Satan was the father of lies. So if Jesus is a liar, then he must be Satan. But the truth is, Jesus is not a liar. And it's not very plausible to believe that he's a liar. In fact, I've never met anyone who believes that Jesus is a liar. I've never read anything about anybody who believes that Jesus is a liar. Now, I've met some people and I've read some things that claim that what people have said about Jesus were lies, but I've never, never met anybody in my travels, and I am a one, two years old, and I've traveled to 30 nations around the world, and I've never met anyone that says Jesus is a liar. In fact, Jesus is held in a very high regard by every religion in the world. Hindus believe he's a god. The Quran says that he lived a sinless life, that he was born of a virgin, that he was a Jewish Messiah. I know atheists who think Jesus is a great man. He had a lot of good moral teachings that we, you know, we can, we can learn from. I've never met anybody or heard of anybody who thinks that Jesus was a liar. So it's not very likely that he was a liar. In fact, in just a little bit, you'll see it's impossible for Jesus to be a liar. So maybe, maybe he's a lunatic. Well, that can only be true if what Jesus believed about himself was not true. Because Jesus believed a lot of strange things about himself. We're going to examine some of these in more detail in just a little bit. But he claimed, you know, he believed he was the Son of God. He believed he was the Anointed One of God. He believed he was the Son of Man. He believed a lot of things about himself. Now, if any of these are true, then he could not be a lunatic. Noted uh, psychologist Gary Collins did an examination of everything they could find about Jesus. It was written about him, not just in the Bible, but elsewhere. And here's what he had to say after this examination. He says, I don't see any signs that Jesus was suffering from any known mental illness. Therefore, it's not very likely that Jesus was a lunatic. In fact, in a little bit, you're going to see it's impossible for Jesus to have been a lunatic. So where does that leave us? Well, maybe he's a myth, a legend, didn't exist at all. Well, according to historian Edwin Yamuchi, the fact, he says this, the fact is that we have better historical documentation for Jesus than for the founder of any other ancient religion. Not only that, but also we have more historical documentation for many other historical figures, such as Alexander the Great. We could go on a, a whole list of historical figures that we don't have very much evidence about. But here's the thing. There are 39 ancient sources, many of them non-Christian, that collaborate more than 100 facts about the life, ministry, death, and yes, the resurrection of Jesus. Wow. You know, it takes over 100 years for legend to, about somebody to develop after they die. And some of these 39 sources that I'm talking about were written well before 100 years had passed. So it's really not very likely that Jesus was the legend 
or a myth. In fact, we're going to see in a little bit, it's impossible for Jesus to have been a legend. So, where does that leave us? Only one option left, folks. He's a real deal. He's exactly who Peter claimed him to be. If you take a look at our, out of our passage back in Matthew 16, verse 16, where, where uh, 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 Jesus says, Who do you say that I am? And the answer is, by Peter, you are the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of the living God. Wow. Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. He is God incarnate. He was a man, but he's also the God-man, and that's what it meant to be. When you call someone the Jewish Messiah, that's what it really meant, theologically. So here's the truth. Jesus was and he is exactly who he claimed himself to be. Not just who Peter claimed him to be, but who Jesus claimed himself to be. So what did he claim? Well, we're going to take a look this morning at ten claims, real quick, about his identity that point to his divinity. Ten things about his identity that point to his divinity. Number one, Jesus claimed to be the great I am. From John 8, 58 and and the other I am uh, uh, phrases from, from the Gospel of John. Jesus claimed to be the same as Yahweh. Jesus claimed to be equal with God. Ooh, that's a big Jesus claimed to be one with the Father. Jesus claimed to be the Messiah. Jesus claimed to be the Son of God. And in the ancient Near East, to claim to be the Son of something was to claim to be of the same essence of that something. And it was that claim that made the Jewish leaders accuse him of blasphemy because they knew what it meant. They knew what Jesus was claiming. Jesus claimed to be worthy of honor due only to God. Jesus claimed to be equal to God by accepting worship. Only God can be worshipped. Jesus claimed to have equal authority with God, such as the power to forgive sins. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus claimed to be the same as God by requesting prayer in His name. He elevated Himself to God. Now, Jesus never made a direct claim to be God, but everything that He did claim points to Him being God. He never claimed to be a great teacher. He never claimed to be a prophet, although He was both. What He claimed about Himself essentially was that He was God. And the New Testament, if you read through it, specifically applies several attributes of God that are, that are applied to God in the Old Testament. They apply those same attributes to Jesus in the New Testament. Okay, that's great. So we look at uh, uh, ten claims, but how do we know they're true? Maybe he's like the Wizard of Oz. Well, you have to have some proof. If it's true, there'll be some proof. And I want to offer you three proofs today that show that Jesus really is who he claimed to be. Number one, first proof, fulfillment of messianic prophecies. In the New Testament, we find all this evidence that that pointed Jesus as the Messiah that was prophesied in the Old Testament. 
In the Old Testament, there are over 300 references to Messiah or to the Messianic Age. More importantly, Jesus directly fulfilled over 70 of these prophecies that are found in Hebrew Scriptures that are about the Messiah. Some of which had to have occurred prior to the destruction of the temple in AD 70. So Jesus was either the Messiah that was forecast or uh, prophesied or there will be one. And these prophecies were made somewhere between 400 to 700 plus years before Jesus ever walked on this earth. Now here's the thing. There's no other founder of any major religion who fulfilled any prophecy made about him or her prior to being born. Only Jesus has done that. Besides, Jesus made predictions himself that were fulfilled. Like he said what? I'm going to suffer and die and be resurrected? Voila, he was. He made a prophecy, a prediction about the coming of the Holy Spirit. And it came. He talked about the persecutions that his followers were going to have. And we've been having those persecutions for 2,000 years. No other founder of any other major religion ever made prediction about his or her life that later came true. Not one. Hebrew Scripture has numerous references to the Messiah, the Christ, being called God. And even God, speaking through the prophets Isaiah and Zechariah, refers to the Messiah with the same names that are used for God. The Messiah was considered to be the same as God, and the Bible teaches that Jesus was the Messiah. And since Scripture, since Scripture proclaims that there is only one God, and that great proclamation from Deuteronomy 6.4, the Shema, and also that no God, there's no God before Him, and there will be no God after Him, those proclamations found in Isaiah chapters 43, 44, and 45, and the Messiah is called God, and Jesus was the Messiah, then guess what? Connect all the dots. Jesus is God. He's got to be. Not a God, but the God. So based on the fulfillment of prophecy made about him, he must be who he claimed himself to be. Now, let's look at proof number two, performance of miracles. Jesus focused his whole ministry on performance of miracles. He began his, his um, a Galilean uh, a ministry by quoting from, from uh, 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 the great prophecy in, six, in, in um, uh, 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 Isaiah 61, which was a messianic prophecy about the miracles that Jesus was going to do. And he spent his whole ministry doing those miracles. In fact, that's what miracles were for. Miracles happened in the Bible to prove that the person who is delivering the Word of God is truly from God. It's God's Word, and He's God's messenger. And this is what Jesus did. Even John the Baptist, when he sent his, his uh, disciples to ask Jesus if you're the one, what did Jesus say? He says, go back and tell them what you see. The blind see, the lame walk. Just go tell John that. Because he knew that is his proof that he was the Messiah. In fact, Jesus offered the same proof to his critics. Recorded in John chapter 10, verses 37 through 38, Jesus says that, hey, if you won't believe me and what I say, then believe the miracles I do. 
because they prove that the Father is in me and I in the Father. Wow. And then, of course, there's these other miracles involving Jesus, like the supernatural conception and the virgin birth, the fact that he existed with God for all eternity. He created all things. All these miraculous acts had led his disciples to conclude that he was God, so much so that they gave their whole life to that endeavor. And they died for it. You know, some people sometimes will die for a lie if they don't know it's a lie. But nobody dies for a lie if they know it's a lie. And they don't have to. But his disciples did. Wow. All of these offer proof of who Jesus really is. But there's one last proof I want to unpack for you that I think is the most important of all. And that's the resurrection of Jesus. We're only a couple of weeks away from Easter, and you, you talked about the, the resurrection. We celebrated it. So why is the resurrection so important? Because it proves that everything claimed by Jesus and about Jesus that's in the Bible is true. That means if it isn't true, if the resurrection didn't happen, then what Jesus claimed isn't true. Because he claimed he was going to raise from dead. And that's what Paul said when he wrote his, his letter to first, in first Corinthians, recorded in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he tells the Corinthians, hey, if Jesus isn't raised from the dead, your faith is worthless. It's in vain. You ought to be pitied above everybody else. We ought all to be pitied if we believe that garbly gook. If he's not raised from the dead. But the truth is, he did raise from the dead. Rise from the dead. In addition to the biblical accounts, there's 19 non-biblical accounts that point to the resurrection as a historical fact. I love speaking on that. I give a, uh, one of the things I do when I travel around is I give a presentation on the historicity of the resurrection. I get to go back and unpack all that, those details. I love it. But here's the truth. I want you to catch this. Jesus proved everything that he said and all that was said about him to be true. By rising from the grave in the same yet glorified body, just as he and Hebrew scripture predicted that he would. The evidence points to the fact that Jesus, that God raised Jesus from the dead. And here's the thing. God would not raise a heretic or a liar or a myth or a lunatic or even a great teacher from the dead. God would only raise his son from the dead. And that makes everything that Jesus said true. No, by the way, no other leader of a major religion, has claimed to have come back from the dead. And better yet, none of them ever predicted that they would. So who is this Jesus? Was he a liar? Was he a lunatic? A myth? A great teacher? prophet? Or who he claimed to be? The evidence points overwhelmingly to Jesus being the God-man, God incarnate, just as Jesus claimed himself to be. And the resurrection proves that that's true. If God raised him from the dead, and there's a preponderance of evidence that points that he did, then we have very good reason to listen to Jesus' claims. Very foolish if we do not. So, there's one other claim that I want to um, unpack for you this morning. One, one last claim that Jesus made. See, Jesus also claimed 
to be the only way to God the Father. Not just a way to a God, but the way to the only God. That's what he said. But is that possible? Could Jesus really be the only way? Come on, only one way? How do we know it's true? Well, let's start with one little fact. He said so. He said there was no other way to God the Father unless they go through Him. And why could He say so? Because He is God. And how do we know He's God? Because He proved it by fulfilling all that was predicted of Him by performing miracles that only God could do, and most importantly, by being raised from the dead. No one else has ever done that. No one else has ever proved that. They're all dead if they existed at all. But here's the most important thing I want you to walk away with. This, this right here is worth the price of admission. Jesus was the only way because He's the only one who could be good enough to pay for the sins that we have committed. The only one. He's the only one who could be good enough. That's why he came to earth. He didn't come to, be, uh, to show us the way. He came to be the way. The Bible teaches that we're all separated from God because of our depravity, every single one of us. Nary a one, as my granddad would say, measures up to God's standards. There's nothing we can do to be good enough. In fact, there's nothing good outside of God, period. He's the only one who is good. You know, some people claim that we're, that we're all on this mountain. Where's my you got a, Slide of my mountain. We're all on this mountain. We're trying to climb to the top of the mountain and to, to, to find God. And the Baptists are over here. They think they're the only one on the mountain, by the way. And then you've got the Methodists over here. You've got a few Buddhists around the corner. Then you've got, you know, Jehovah Witnesses over here. They're all climbing up to get to the top of this mountain to find this God. And it's all the same God. And we get there, we'll recognize it's all the same God. Here's the thing. I've studied every religion in the world, some of them in quite detail. I'm here to tell you, every single one has a different God. Now, I was raised by my grandparents. My grandfather was a, was a farmer, and he used to have a big garden. He loved to grow gardens, and he'd grow watermelons in his garden. And he'd grow two kinds of watermelons. The traditional kind that most of us see when we go to the grocery store, you cut them open and they're a nice bright red, sweet red inside, right? But he'd grow another kind. They were yellow meat melons. Anybody eat a yellow meat melon? Come on. There's a few of us here that go back that far. You cut them open. They're nothing like, they're nothing like a regular melon. They look a lot alike on the outside. In fact, they look identical. But when you cut them open, they're not the same thing. And I'm here to tell you, if you're a true watermelon connoisseur, like I am, you know they don't taste the same either. Well, that's kind of the way it is with religion. They look a lot alike on the outside, but when you dig into them, when you cut them open, they're not the same at all. And so they don't all take you to the same place. They don't all take you to the same God. At best, only one, only one could be true. If they all have a different God, then somebody's got to be wrong. At best, only one can be right. 
They all may be sincere, but all except one is sincerely wrong. They all point people in the wrong direction. Their followers are running for the wrong end of the field toward the wrong goal. Their leaders, their gurus may claim to be the great and powerful Oz, but they can provide and have not provided any proof that they are. We're not just on different paths. We're not even on the same mountain. But here's the real good news. Some of you know what I'm going to say. You don't have to climb that mountain. In fact, you can't. There's no way to climb that mountain. It's too steep, too high. The crevice is too wide and deep. So you don't have to climb that mountain to God because you can't climb that mountain to God. The really good news is, is that God has come down from that mountain in a man named Jesus to find you. And thankfully me. That's the truth. Only Jesus can reach down from the perfection of God to make up the difference between the lack of goodness, our goodness, and God's perfect goodness. He had to come in order to provide the way to God the Father. Why? Because no one else is good enough. Not Buddha, not Joseph Smith, not Muhammad, or not Oprah or any of her gurus. Certainly not me. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say probably not you. None of us are good enough. We'll always come up short. We we'll always will run in the wrong toward the wrong end zone. We need somebody to make up that difference, somebody to come and turn us around in the wrong direction. And Jesus is the only one who can do that. He really is the way. And there really is no other. And this gets me back to the original question. Who do you say that Jesus is. That's his question. He's asking you, who do you say that I am? Who do you? A question that's been asked for 2,000 years. And a lot of people give a lot of different answers, but there's only one answer that works. Only one answer that's right. I hope that everyone in this room can answer that question in the exact same way that Peter answered that question. Can proclaim that you are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. That means then we're forced to make a decision to accept or reject this truth. You know, some people, some people can, can, can reject a myth. They can reject a lie. They can reject a lunatic. They can even reject a great teacher. But few people can reject the Son of God when they know for in fact that He is just that. And we know that He's the Son of God. Because God would not raise anyone but his son from the dead. So here's my challenge to you. Start being a proclaimer of the true identity of Jesus. Invest some time in learning how to prove that identity. Lots of ways you can do that. One of the ways would be to participate in that, that apologetic conference that, um, that's coming up next weekend. It's next Friday, 22nd. At Fort Mill Baptist. I think Scott's going to talk more about it in just a little bit. It'll help you to understand the truths about your faith. The Christian faith is true, it's verifiable. Everything that we believe can be proven to be true. No one can encounter, I believe this, no one can encounter the risen Jesus without their life being changed. That's been true in the first century and it's true today. I believe that. 
So all of us here today should go out with a whole new uh, uh, excitement about who Jesus is and tell people we met somebody greater than the great and powerful Oz. We met the Son of the living God. I've given you evidence so that you can make that proclamation, just like Peter. Remember, God has never and God will never raise a heretic or a liar or a lunatic or even a great teacher from the dead. He would only raise his son, and he has. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you so much for that fact. You have raised Jesus from the dead. And because of that, we know that everything that Jesus claimed to be is true. And that our faith in Him is true. It's real. And we should live our lives boldly with that proclamation on our lips. Give us the wisdom and the strength to do so. To pursue more about you and understanding your truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.